It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The union forever, ah, boys, hurrah, down with the trainer, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Thanks for staying tuned to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, folks. This week's show is the best of only on K News FM 98.5. I'm lawyer Stu Jenkins. I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. I also represent farming, industrial, and commercial landowners. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases, and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances. I've repeatedly served as Superior Court Special Master, and in court I have been trusted to represent both the Democratic Party and Republican candidates. On Slow County public policy and the law, office holders, lawyers, and activists appear to inform you about government actions shaping your lives. This week, I have a really fine election law lawyer to talk to you about. But last week, I had former Grover Beach Mayor Debbie Peterson talk about her book, The Happiest Corruption, Sleaze, Lies, and Suicide in a California Beach Town. If you have not read that tell-all book, you can get a copy at any good bookstore or at Amazon or Barnes & Noble's. I also interviewed Paso Robles Mayor John Hammond about the Paso Robles spaceport that is being built. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S 985.com. This hour, it is a real privilege to talk with election law lawyer Kevin Shankman about the California Voting Rights Act and why he is demanding that San Luis Obispo adopt council elections by districts. Kevin, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Stu. Thank you for having me. Well, and and you're calling in all the way from uh, probably Malibu, aren't you? Yes, it's not not that far. Um, but it's a little ways. It's a little ways. I I went to school in uh, San Diego when I wanted to become a lawyer, so I know it's a long drive. <laughs> But anyway, actually, my my oldest child just started at UCSB. Oh, uh, so I, I I make the trek up to your neck of the woods uh, pretty pretty frequently. Now. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're uh, we're glad to have you. You stop in any time that you're in town. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, with you about the law, but I like my listeners to know about uh, our guest's background. I I understand you started out your life in Detroit. I I did. Um, it's a great place to grow up, um, and, uh, but Southern California is, is a great place to live. Well, it's hard to compete with Southern California, I, I'll tell you. And I, I also understand from a, a good friend of mine that you, uh, when you were in Detroit, you were a boxer. So you know what? I actually did most uh, most of my boxing in New York. New York. Uh, while, I, okay. while I was going to law school. Okay. Uh, you went to Columbia Law School in New York, didn't you? Right. Yeah, and uh, I I heard that you got your uh, college degree actually uh, in engineering at Rice University. Yep, it seems like a, a very long time ago now, but that's right. Well, I do understand. Well, and um, you came to California and, 
and uh, became a lawyer here in 2002, if I read the bar uh, site correctly. Uh, were you right. al- already in Southern California then? Uh, no, I, I've always wanted to move out to uh, Los Angeles area, Southern California more generally. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid growing up um, watching Sanford and Son uh, and the NBA <laughs> Finals between the Detroit Pistons and Los Angeles Lakers. And, uh, you know, I, I'd see the palm trees and the, the Laker girls and, and, and everything about Sanford and Son, and I, I just I, I needed to get out here. And eventually, uh, after law school, um, it, it seemed like the only opportunity I would have um, and made the trek and uh, been happy here ever since. Well, you've done right. And, of course, those are all the reasons that the folks on the East Coast are jealous. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit. We sort of are the area that sourced the California Voting Rights Act. I, I think it all kind of started with a federal case based on the U.S. Voting Rights Act uh, right out of Santa Maria, a little town south of here that's in our listening audience. It was called Ruiz versus Santa Maria. Right. And, uh, you know, in that particular case, uh, Miss. The, the the plaintiff said we ought to have districts because uh, even though we have a large Hispanic community and always have in Santa Maria, uh, there are no Hispanics and have not been any Hispanics on the city council. And uh, the uh, the trial court, well, the response was uh, Abel Maldonado uh, suddenly got himself elected. Uh, he he got drafted and by the powers that be, and he was put on the city council and. Um, and uh, they said uh, their defense was, wait a minute, we've got a Hispanic. You've got to throw the case out. And the, uh, I think the federal trial cut judge, not to get too deep into the weeds, said, yeah, that's right. We'll just throw that out. And it went up to the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, and they reversed. Um, it was By chance, was that one of the cases that got you interested in uh, this area of law? Well, so I I actually didn't so much get interested in this area of law by looking at cases or anything particularly lawyerly. Uh-huh. Um, okay. It was really happenstance. Um, I, I am, of course, now very familiar with the Ruiz versus City of Santa Maria case that you're you're talking about, um, and it's uh, travels from the trial court to the appellate court, back down to the trial court, and. Um, you know, ultimately, that case was was not successful. Right, um, they they settled out. Well, it it, it took uh, it, it took about um, twenty plus years and the enactment of the California Voting Rights Act uh, to ultimately um, convince the city of Santa Maria to finally go to district based elections. That's right. And and how did you get drawn into into this? So, you know, it was a long time ago. I, I had just started my, my own law firm um, back in 2011. Um, seems like a, an eternity ago. Um, and I got a call from a gentleman, uh, Darren Parker. Uh, he was the African-American caucus chair for the California Democratic Party. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know how he got my name or phone number. Um, I, had had, I had at that point no experience in election law or voting rights. Um, other than taking a, a one-semester course in law school. Um, but uh, he, he asked me to take a look at uh, whether the city of Palmdale violated the California Voting Rights Act. 
And, um, you know, despite me telling him I have no idea what that law is um, and only a vague idea of where Palmdale is, uh, he insisted. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess he was very persuasive. I ended up taking a look at it, um, trying to figure out whether there was a decent case there. Um, and ultimately, we did file that case uh, in, in 2012. Um, it ended up being the first California Voting Rights Act case to go to trial. I went to trial in, in the middle of 2013, uh, and much like the Ruiz case, it then went up to the appellate court, um, and we won it at each stage there, went back down to the trial court, won again there, um, and uh, in 2015 that case resolved, and Palmdale has had district elections ever since. Um, and, you know, I would count that as, frankly, one of the success stories of the California Voting Rights Act. Um, in 2016, the, the, the city's first district elections, um, Juan Carrillo was elected. He, he became the first Latino Democrat elected in that city's 50-plus year history. And um, Mr. Carrillo uh, just got elected uh, in 2022 to the Assembly, where he serves now. Um, so it, it really in my view, showed not only um, how the system of elections can can change the outcome in a municipal race, but also how those municipal elections um, really result in the creation of a bench uh, for a minority community and uh, to serve to, to get that experience and, yeah, and be and basically the the farm team for the next right. level up. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now you've uh, you've of course been uh, contacting cities in different parts of the state. How how do you uh, how do you f- determine which cities uh, uh, need your attention? You know, it, it's um, I, I wish I could say it was some science, uh, uh-huh. but it's not. It's mostly people calling us up. Um, at this point, uh, we we've gotten some notoriety. And so um, people will call us up and say, hey, have you looked at my city or uh, school district or, or college district or whatever it might be? Sure. Um, and, you know, at this point, we, we turn away most of those inquiries. We take a look. Um, we have our process for evaluating whether there is a decent case to be had, um, whether, um, whether we believe it will make a significant difference. Um, and, and based on that evaluation, um, we decide whether we want to take it to the to the next step, um, and the law now provides what that next step is. We need to to write to the the uh, political subdivision and, and say, hey, uh, we think you violate the California Voting Rights Act. Um, you know, you should make a voluntary change of your election system. Um, and then there's a timeline uh, for for um, any political subdivision to go through that process. Of, of making the change, and if they don't, then they leave themselves um, open to being sued. Now, um, you you do all of your evaluation uh, of the facts and the circumstances before you ever write that letter, uh, but it's usually after somebody has contacted you. What what kind of information do you ask folks to bring to you to uh, decide if you think that a uh, city is violating the California Voting Rights Act? 
Yeah, so most of the information that's relevant to whether um, a city is, in fact, violating the California Voting Rights Act, it, it's public record. It's, um, it's census data, it's election results, um, and our experts run their statistical analyses on all of that stuff um, and, you know, with, with our cooperation. Um, okay. What I, what I usually ask uh, when someone calls us and says, hey, would you please take a look at our city or sue our city, um, is why are they calling? Sure. Uh, because oftentimes, you know, it, it, it's, I don't expect anyone who's calling us to have gone through that statistical analysis to determine, for example, whether there's racially polarized voting or not. Um, but uh, I, I think more often than not, there's, there's a reason that someone's calling. They're upset with the local government. They think the local government is not, um, is not being attentive to the needs of the minority community, or perhaps they're just upset with, um, you know, that they didn't get a building permit or something like that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we need to know that at the outset. Of course. Uh, so, that, so, that we need, so that we know what we should be looking for. You're not their tool to get a building permit. You got to make sure that's uh, the case, right? Right. Yeah. The um, now somebody contacted you in Santa Monica a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, oddly enough, that uh, the run-up to that was reverberating here in San Luis Obispo. There were uh, people who were talking to folks in Santa Monica about how um, they, the folks in Santa Monica who were devoted to quality neighborhoods wanted to team up with the folks in the Pico neighborhood to try to get, um, try to get districts uh, installed because somehow the city just kept uh, running over everybody, um, uh, minority or... Caucasian who had a different view from what the uh, what the city uh, powers that be wanted. Um, yes, it, it certainly is an interesting politic in Santa Monica. Yeah, um, and and that uh, we got involved in that um, about eight years ago now. Okay, uh, and we've been fighting with them ever since. Uh, that case um, went to was went to trial in 2018. Uh, the Court of Appeal in 2020. Um, and we just got then. It, then the California Supreme Court took review, and we just got uh, the decision from the California Supreme Court—a favorable decision—in um, August of this year. And by the looks of it, um, the city wants to keep fighting, um, and they have paid their attorneys, um, by all accounts, in excess of thirteen million dollars. I've heard uh, they won't—they won't reveal the exact number. But I've heard numbers ranging between 13 and 18 million. Having sued the city of San Luis Obispo in 2012, um, I know there are sources of information where you get that kind of uh, reverberation, uh, so that you have an idea of what they've spent. I, I bet you your firm has probably spent uh, a significant amount of money uh, just on the uh, bringing of the case, the bringing of the experts. Um, uh, what what kind of uh, what kind of bank do you have to be able to put up on this kind of a case, Kevin? Well, in in the particular case of Santa Monica, we have expended uh, in excess of one million dollars just in in out of pocket hard costs. 
Right. So, so you've got to, you've actually got to put that forward without uh, any help from your clients. Is that right? Uh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, I, try not, I try not to think about that too much, but uh, yeah. Well, this is one reason that, that uh, private attorney general fees are so important to the um, process of justice, because uh, you know, lawyers, uh, a lot of people uh, don't realize how much lawyers will put out to make sure that the public uh, has uh, justice and uh, a good democratic system. So kudos to you for doing that. Um, One of the things that I guess I'm curious about is, um, you know, the the ruling from the Supreme Court was a major victory for you. I I, want to compliment you on that. But you've been sent back to the Court of Appeal to determine a couple of other things. Uh, How how strong do you think this ruling is going to turn out to have been? Well, I I think it's, um, it's essentially what we asked for. Okay. Um, in, In terms of the... Uh, the test that the Supreme Court ultimately adopted is really the one that we proposed. Um, we did ask the Supreme Court to go that extra step of applying that test uh, to the facts of this case, um, and the court didn't go that far. Um, I, I, I recognize, um, you know, both at the time and in hindsight, that that, that was a big ask. That's not usually what the California Supreme Court does. It's not the way that the justices see their role. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm not terribly surprised that they didn't take our invitation they're, to... They're not justice. They're not justice trainer who was always... Uh, he had an opinion. He was always looking for a case to apply it to. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, but I, I think ultimately, we, we look, we would not have proposed a test um, that we would then lose on. Right. Um, this this case had a, a six week trial. Um, it's a seventy one page statement of decision by the L.A. Superior Court um, that addresses all of the factors that the Supreme Court um, mentions in their opinion. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's so, very well documented. Um, yeah. So if if in fact. Uh, the Court of Appeal does what Courts of Appeal are supposed to do, um, and that is uh, defer to the trial court on findings of fact um, and confirm that there is substantial evidence to support the trial court's findings, um, then we should win this case. And when you win this case, um, that's going to impose uh, the the districts that were imposed um, by the trial court, uh, seven districts, um, is is it likely that you do you think those will be imposed before the twenty twenty four election, or are, are they going to? Do you think the stay will last after that? Oh, I've I've given up on trying to guess as to when appellate courts will decide cases. Um, I, I was asked that same question um, back in twenty twenty one when the briefing was completed in the California Supreme Court. And I told everyone I thought the case would probably be decided sometime around January or February of 2022. Um, it turns out I was uh, about a year and a half off. <laughs> uh, so I, I've given up on that. I do understand. Do understand. Well, now, you've, uh, you've written the city of San Luis Obispo and demanded that, that the city of San Luis Obispo uh, institute district elections for their city council. 
Um, uh, was that for a, a specific client, uh, if you can reveal that? So uh, the letter is written on behalf of the Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, which is a, uh, a nonprofit um, that we have worked with for a number of years. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's actually the oldest uh, Latino voting rights or, or, or voter registration organization started in the 1970s, uh-huh. uh, before I was born. And, um, you know, our our approach generally is, um, to avoid putting individuals' names in demand letters. And, and the reason that we do that is particularly because um, we've seen in a number of places individuals getting threatened, getting retaliated against sure. by, um, by, by a city. Um, you know, I, I, we have a case currently against the city of Cyprus, and um, in one of the depositions of of a council member he described his conversation with another council member where uh, that council member made a physical threat with respect to our clients the plaintiffs in the case um, and you know I, I've received a lot of threats I'm kinda used to that um, but it's it's troubling when it, it when the threats are directed to our clients, and we do everything that we can to to protect them. Well, I do understand that uh, people get uh, a little passionate to put a, a kind word on it, and sometimes, especially these days, it seems yeah, like it's getting worse. It does seem like it's getting worse, and uh, so that's uh, well, I, you know, you just have to deal with that, and uh, you've obviously. You're not shy about it, which I, I want to compliment you on. Um, they, what are the grounds for the request to the city of San Luis Obispo? Well, you know, we, we lay it out a little bit in our letter. Uh-huh. Um, it's that uh, the at-large election system that San Luis Obispo uses and has used for quite some time uh, violates the California Voting Rights Act. Um, there is racially polarized voting um, pretty consistently in San Luis Obispo, um, and the combination of that racially polarized voting and the at-large election system operates to dilute the Latino vote. And and uh, we're going to go into that a little bit more. Uh, we have a hard break coming up, Kevin. This week's show is the best of. Uh, folks, this is Stu Jenkins. You're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, and stay tuned. We're going to have more conversation with election law lawyer Kevin Shankman right after this break.